My name is Chloe Tonus, and I welcome you to this week's episode of Bite Size Cybercrime, where we are taking a look at a cyber criminal rather than a cyber crime. Don't worry, plenty of crime is included here. I tried to shorten this episode as much as possible because my thing is typically shorter, more digestible episodes. However, this story is anything but short and digestible, so this is gonna be a bit of a long one. Sit back and I hope you're ready. Anyways, when we think of the dark web or the deep web, we think of the bustling criminal marketplace of hitmen, human meat sellers, illegal black market weapons, and drug trafficking. These websites can't be accessed through normal browsers. Tor, or the Onion Browser, is an internet browser that hosts hidden services, which are websites that cannot be accessed from your typical web browser, like Chrome, Firefox, or even... Ugh, Edge. A lot of these sites are also likely honeypots or scams, but not the site I'm going to cover today. The Silk Road. The Silk Road is a thing of internet legend. It was among one of the first darknet websites. The darknet being websites on the deep web that specify in illegal activity blatantly. So this website started in 2011, and the owner wasn't caught until 2013, and those were a very, very active two years, so... How did he do it? How did he stay hidden for two years? I mean, that doesn't sound very long, but for something like a bustling underground drug market as big as the Silk Road was, that was a very, very long time without being caught. Alright, I might bore you for a little bit, because I'm going to explain a little bit about how this guy remained hidden for a while. The internet is just a series of computers that are communicating with each other. If I send a message to go to my podcast website, to go to your computer, it goes through a lot of computers in between to access the podcast servers and from the podcast server to your phone or your laptop or your desktop or whatever you're listening on, I don't know, your Nintendo DS. <laughs> when I send a message to my podcast website, my podcast website knows it's coming from me. It sees my IP address and the computers that send it to the podcast website pass along my IP address. And the podcast website passes along their IP address to your device, so it knows exactly who they're talking to. Tor works a little differently. It uses layered nodes to hide your IP address. One of the computers along the way scrambles your address, so the website doesn't know where you're coming from. This means that Tor can easily hide your location by making it seem like you're coming from completely different areas every time you access this website. This can be used for illegal activity, but can also be used if you're, let's say, under an authoritarian regime that restricts internet access so you can view the entirety of the web. If it thinks you're coming from somewhere else, it's not going to restrict you in the same ways that it would if it thinks you're coming from an authoritarian regime with a restricted web. The Silk Road also took payments in a cryptocurrency we are all familiar with, which is, of course, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is able to be used anonymously. You don't have to link your name with a wallet, and it can even be laundered pretty easy. Bitcoin is able to be tumbled, which you pay a tumbler, not the website tumbler, a, a Bitcoin tumbler, to essentially mix up the trail from wallet to wallet. And that makes it really hard to actually find out who owned what Bitcoin when. Of course, you do have to be careful when transferring Bitcoin back to your native currency, as not to raise any suspicion, and that's really kind of on you and not on Bitcoin to manage. But really, if you just use it for deep web transactions and keep using more of it for more transactions, you don't really need to transfer it back as long as you have a use for it. So here begins the actual story of the website, and I'm going to get into the owner a little bit. The owner was also the first seller. 
His name was Ross Ulbrich, a college libertarian from Texas who had been working on growing magic mushrooms in a rundown building he was renting. Side note, not only do I talk about cybersecurity, but I love to forage for gourmet mushrooms, not the magic kind, I just like to eat them. And I will tell you, this was a good idea because mushrooms grow very fast and some can grow virtually anywhere. He was able to grow them by the thousands and have shelf-stable illegal products for his very own black market stall. So, with his mushrooms in stock, the Silk Road opened, and Ulbrich was unsure if anyone would even want to buy drugs from strangers on the internet, but oh, was there ever interest. Almost a year of teaching himself how to program had paid off in a massive way. He was one man running a startup that should have been managed by a team. His website not only had a Craigslist-like function, but a guide on how to purchase substances using Bitcoin. Anyone could use the site if they came across it, even if they didn't know how Bitcoin worked. Under a magic mushroom forum under the name Altoid, Ross shared his project, pretending to be a user who simply stumbled upon it. He did this on a few other forums, pretending he just stumbled upon it again, and then he waited, and people ate it up. Or smoked it, snorted it, drank it, whatever. Within a few months, this completely new drug lord was shipping his mushrooms almost daily. Ross eventually allowed people to bid at an auction for the rights to have a seller account. Weed, cocaine, and ecstasy dealers were among the first to join in, and he even added a rating system so buyers could rate sellers on their products to ensure that this marketplace, although a black marketplace, could be trusted. He was already making thousands of profit in just a few months. By five months in, virtually every drug that existed in the country was being sold on Silk Road, and even drugs that don't exist in the country. Ulbrich began to grow very paranoid. The site was growing huge, and two people he knew in real life, his girlfriend and one of his friends, who helped him debug the code, knew about the site. One of the major and rather obvious rules about running a site like this is you can't tell anyone about it. You immediately have someone who can write you out to the authorities, especially if it's growing this big and they feel a mounting pressure. Still, neither the friend or the girlfriend spoke to authorities about this website or even mentioned it at all. But the rapid expansion of the site did concern Julia, the girlfriend of Ross Ulbrich. Even with Tor in the anonymous currency, she became increasingly paranoid that the love of her life would be caught and sent to jail for who knows how many years. Ulbrich hired more security professionals, anti-government hackers willing to improve the security of his site and make it even harder to be tracked by the government, which of course was the main concern for a website like this. Ross Ulbrich did not necessarily want to become a drug lord, but he had libertarian views and believed that every drug should be legal. Every single one. Not just weed, but drugs like meth and heroin. And in a few ways, he made some really good points. Drugs only harmed the users, you could argue. And Ross specifically believed the government did not have the right to restrict what people did with their bodies. This website was just meant to spread his message. And in his mind, it allowed people to buy drugs safely without having to worry about violence on the streets. That is, after all, like, pretty much exactly what he said. And it was an appeal for people who used the website. A lot of people buying drugs at the time stated that they used a website like the Silk Road or one of its rivals that sprung up, specifically to avoid violence. And many people also felt that the ratings made it a pretty safe and secure way to even just try drugs out. But not only drug users were interested in the website. A journalist for the gossip tabloid Gawker was able to make life a whole lot harder for Ulbrich for quite some time. Adrian Chen, reporter for the tabloid, made an account and began asking sellers and buyers alike for interviews. He was going to shift the public's attention right onto the Silk Road when it previously 
It had just been a thing on the dark web that some people talked about on drug forums. Surprisingly, among the people to do an interview was, well, Ross Mulberg himself. Of course, he didn't use his real name, but it was about the message at the time, and oh boy, did he send his message. Ross criticized the government for policing what people chose to do with their bodies, but his interview would have consequences. There was now a target on his back. The Department of Justice and the Drug Enforcement Administration intended to track him down to the edge of the earth. Every news site covered his website, which was great for business. All over the world, curious people signed up and nearly crashed the site. He even had to shut off new sign-offs to fix some of the shitty code he wrote previously and get it debugged. Ross and his security experts had a lot of work ahead of them to not only just maintain the security, but to even keep the website running with all these new sign-ups. They never anticipated this much traffic. And they were soon to add a new product that people would probably like to buy. Guns. Guns that could be bought anonymously. Legal products that people who cannot obtain guns legally for whatever reason would now have their hands on. Violent criminals and felons out of prison could just bypass background checks and buy a gun off his website. For Julia, the girlfriend, this was her final straw. She could not handle the pressure of this website any longer, disagreed fundamentally with the addition of guns, broke up with him, told a girlfriend in New York about this, who then made a Facebook post about it, which was promptly deleted, but Ross was still very paranoid and decided he had to hide right away. He fled his home state of Texas to a place no one would know his name. His face swore that he was behind the Silk Road, Australia. But the government was collecting drugs seized from airports that led back to his site and was beginning to build a case against him already, slowly but surely. After moving to Australia, Ulbricht became friends with a man named Variety Jones, the moniker of one of the security experts he'd hired. VJ, as he was simply called, befriended Ross and even suggested he change his name to the now infamous Dread Pirate Roberts. As the pirate took his new mantle, he realized this was a way to divorce his past. His girlfriend, her friend, and the only other friend who knew about this project would now believe that he sold the website to a different user. And he told this lie, and they believed him. He could now believably run his empire unscathed with the help of his new friend VJ. You could now say, yes, I worked on it in the beginning, but I wanted out, so I sold it to a man only known as Dread Pirate Roberts. Maybe then the law wouldn't be so harsh on him if he were found. And the users of the site embraced their pirate lord. This new name made him seem like a powerful, almost godlike pirate, and not the anonymous, faceless entity that he was before when his name was just Admin. In a way, these two identities made it easier for him to separate his life. By day, he was Ross, a normal guy in Australia who simply day-traded and invested in crypto. And online, he was Dread Pirate Roberts, fearsome pirate leader of the crusade to legalize all drugs. He no longer felt bad about the deception which had been eating him away as he met new friends, because he had two lives that were both separate but very real. The site continued to grow every day and millions were being made. Despite the efforts of the government of the world, this ship would not be sunk. However, Dread Pirate Roberts often operated in public, where in theory, anyone would see him. He had to be constantly on the move, ensuring the website was still running while avoiding suspicion from the public. Reluctantly, after changing his online name and hoping that was enough to convince everyone back home he sold the site, he did end up moving back to Texas. Meanwhile, Variety Jones was trying to help Dread Pirate Roberts expand. After all, this was a business and they did have to expand. Illegal hacking software prescription drugs, and even more weapons were added to the website, 
and they even considered the potential for human organs, although I don't believe that was ever actually implemented. Weapons ended up leaving at some point, because Dread Pirate Roberts created the armory to separate it from the Silk Road, as some of the weed dealers were really reluctant to have gun sellers on the same website. But the armory, his gun site, was quickly shut down as it was too hard to ship weapons, those would get caught a lot more than the drugs, and weapons of course were added back to the Silk Road, even though, you know, that never really made that issue go away, but who, who am I to judge? I don't run drug websites. Either way, with all the new products they have, Variety Jones even proclaimed that if Dread Pirate Roberts got caught, he could just swoop in on a helicopter and allow him to escape. Like, they had such a ridiculous amount of money that that wasn't even seen as a very big deal. That was just something that they might have to do because it could happen. However, cracks would start to form in their relationship. Variety Jones had been in prison before, and he had a hatred for heroin. Unlike Dread Pirate Roberts, who simply believed it was personal freedom, Variety Jones spent time in prison and saw what heroin did to people. The ugly side of a drug that lasted such a small time in your system, you could take weeks worth of it on Friday and pass a drug test on Monday. When a South American heroin dealer named Knob offered to sell heroin in bulk, Dread Pirate Roberts asked Variety Jones to facilitate a test deal, and Variety Jones completely refused. They butt heads, neither turning away from their strong position on heroin, but neither knew they could lose the other as Dread Pirate Roberts needed Variety Jones to help him run the site and keep it secure, and Variety Jones wanted to be the co-captain of the ship. Each man wanted control, and Dread Pirate Roberts was not willing to surrender his control. He ran things his way. Begrudgingly, they both worked together with a strained relationship. Variety Jones even helped Dread Pirate Roberts encrypt his computer and install a kill switch, so that if he was ever caught by the FBI, he could press one key, and his computer would be dead and completely useless as evidence. Even if that didn't work, his files would be locked and unable to be opened by law enforcement. Encryption, after all, is turning files into unreadable gibberish that can only be brought back into plain English if you have and know a key. If only you know the key, and it is a long, nearly uncrackable key, then no one else can get in, not even top security professionals. Law enforcement and said security professionals can attempt to use a password cracker, but passwords can take billions of years to crack if they are that long and that secure. Or of course they can take seconds if you make a poor choice. Match up with his double life, Russell Birch split his computer into two. His personal life side, where he could email friends and chat on dating sites, and his Dread Pirate Roberts side that was only used for the Silk Road. He was able to partition his hard drives so that they acted like completely separate computers. Partitioning a hard drive is basically splitting a hard drive into two separate hard drives. This allows you to even install separate operating systems on the same computer, and was a good way for him to maintain a double life on the same computer without having to buy another one. Even though he was making millions, Ross was very stingy with his money. And to add to the millions, fake government documentation and counterfeit money was added to the website, so hallelujah, more ways to get the government to hate you. It seemed like the initial message of all drugs should be legal was starting to get lost when you're outright promoting things like hacking and very illegal activity like fake documents, but you know what? It was just bringing more cash in, so that didn't matter. This was a business above all now. Despite never showing his ID on the website because that would be stupid, Dread Pirate Roberts demanded to see the ID of his staff to ensure that if he was crossed, he knew exactly where they lived. And of course, to ensure that government agents weren't infiltrating the site, even though a government agent could just make a fake ID. Ross also packed a bag of belongings if he ever needed to flee law enforcement quickly. 
almost expecting his eventual capture and therefore manifesting it in a few years' time. He made a to-do list in case he was caught. Encrypt his files, plans to free the country. He had everything planned out. As more cracks began to form in the ship, Dread Pirate Roberts started looking at places in the Dominican to hide from the US government. His paranoia growing, all while his passport as Ross Ulbrich was being scanned and given to the government. So if he was caught, I don't know how well hiding would have actually gone for him. As long as he was using that US passport, there was nowhere he could hide. Even governments that don't have the best relationship with the United States hated this man for selling all these drugs and wanted to turn his ass in. He also began to grow a friendship with the drug lord Nob as his friendship with Variety Jones was beginning to crumble. He sought to speak to Nob more and became interested in the dealer. He had been in the business for a long time and said he could help expand the site. After all, getting the South American market to integrate into the digital world would be major for the Silk Road. The two almost became as close as Dread Pirate Roberts was with Variety Jones in their best. They began to talk about their personal lives, which was a huge no-no, libertarian philosophies, and how to win the war on drugs. Nob gave advice on allowing dealers to use dead drops instead of the US Postal Service in order to help with the postal system intercepting the drugs. Dead drops, from what I can tell, are just a spot like a public locker that a dealer leaves drugs in and clients leave money in, so that neither party actually had to meet in person. Oh, but uh, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, yeah, Nob wasn't a drug lord. Far from a drug lord. He was a DEA agent going undercover investigating the Silk Road, who convinced Dread Pirate Roberts to make a cocaine deal with one of the staff members, Chronic Pain. Chronic Pain agreed to this and picked up a parcel delivered to him full of cocaine and was then promptly stormed by agents and arrested. Dread Pirate Roberts, knowing the names of all of his staff, quickly heard of this news because, well, he just looked it up all the time because if someone got caught, he was very worried that they would squeal. And Chronic Pain was very likely to do so. Chronic Pain also seemed to have stolen a large money from the website, but this actually ended up being a different federal agent, not Nob, it was just one of the guys who went with him to arrest Chronic Pain, though. And the only way Dread Pirate Roberts could think to properly punish him was with death. And of course, Nob, the South American drug lord, promised he could do this. And in fact, Nob did go through with it and send proof. Although, no, the DAA agent did not indeed kill this guy who was selling drugs. He was very, very not allowed to do that. His death was faked in agreement with the DEA agents. Although they did actually waterboard him because they wanted to torture him to get information on the website. And chronic pain was not a very good source of information, not because he intended to hide it, but because he just was very technologically uh, not the best, shall we say. He didn't really understand how Bitcoin worked, or even how to steal it from the website, which is what Dread Pirate Roberts assumed happened, but again, that was the other agent. But still, a hit was put out on this man, so this was very important evidence when the trial would eventually happen. Dread Pirate Roberts was satisfied with the photos, assuming he was dead, and put out more hits on people who were hackers extorting him for money. Not only was the website target of the government, but other hacktivist groups who didn't necessarily agree with the values, or who just knew they could get a lot of money out of this website selling drugs. But it didn't actually seem like anyone was legitimately killed, more like a group of hitmen just scammed him out of his money. So, great, that didn't work at all. People just laid low. And look, even if no one died, it's still very not legal to put a hit out on someone, so this would absolutely not help his case, and in fact make his case a lot worse. Nob, meanwhile, was also beginning to do some questionable things despite the fact that he was an undercover agent. 
He said he could get a corrupt agent to sell Dread Pirate Roberts information on the Silk Road so he could stay one step ahead. And he actually did this because Nob, as the agent, needed some of that money that he knew the Silk Road was making. The agent's name was Kevin, and Kevin was also Nob, although it was not Nob's real name as the agent. Nob had a different name that was Carl. But either way, he sold information to Dread Pirate Roberts, and this would also catch up to him eventually, but we'll get to that later. He justified this, though, saying he had to get close to Dread Pirate Roberts in order to catch up to him. Maybe he could, too, learn some information about the Silk Road that the government didn't know about. A major lead came, not in the form of Mr. Carl, or Kevin, or Nob finding information in his weird cat and mouse games, but when an IRS agent actually found the first posts made by a user named Altoid. Remember when I said Dread Pirate Roberts was advertising himself on, you know, Shroom and other drug websites? Yeah, he used the name Altoid. The IRS agent discovered a fake email address, but then a real one that was deleted but archived by the Shroom website. Because again, nothing on the internet is truly ever deleted. An email address? Ross Ulbrich at gmail.com. This was not proof that he owned the website. It was only maybe proof that he possibly used it or was aware of it, but it certainly added him to the list of suspects. And this, and one other slip up, is what would be the fall of the Pirate Lord. One email address that was deleted. At the same time, another mistake was uncovered. The server IP that hosted the website was leaked, and it was in Iceland. The US and Icelandic officials chatted, and Iceland sent over a thumb drive with information of the server on it. And it was encrypted! <laughs> but the Icelandic people were just trolling and gave it a password called, try to crack this NSA with no spaces. With the full, unencrypted Silk Road server, it was much easier to track the pirate down. In fact, Dane figured out that at some point, Dread Pirate Roberts had operated from San Francisco, California inside a little coffee shop to which he had recently moved, again to stay off the authorities' radar. Combine the server completely rebuilt by the FBI and the real name linked to the Altoid account, who was also Dread Pirate Roberts, and there was little that could be done to escape. Two major mistakes. And yet a third came up, when Ross Ulbrich's face appeared on nine fake IDs that had been intercepted by the Postal Service addressed to his temporary apartment. And apparently, according to the Department of Homeland Security, nine is a lot of fake IDs, even for a criminal. So, I mean, obviously they showed up, not knowing who they had just caught. They insisted they weren't there to arrest the petrified Ross, and he even showed them his real ID, again, with his real name, Ross Oldbridge, already linked to a piece of known evidence on it. And of course, he mentioned, oh yeah, in theory, you can buy these IDs from a website called The Silk Road, and the agents left. And so did Ross, but he remained in San Francisco still. Ross had been found out with just three mistakes, because everything fit together too perfectly, and they were just enough to track him down. The email address, the location, the ID, his early postings about the Silk Road, consistent changes in his email address. Ross was planning to move after the visit from the Department of Homeland Security, but before he could do so, he was followed by agents. These agents in cybersecurity noted that whenever Ross closed his laptop, DPR logged off. It was him, and they had to catch him with the computer on and logged on. Otherwise, no one could prove he was technically Dread Pirate Roberts, and if he managed to shut his laptop, 
all the files would be encrypted and completely useless to the investigation. Dread Pirate Roberts was captured at a public library, laptop open. Just as he signed into his laptop, it was ripped away by federal agents because Ross tried to fight a woman at the library who may have caught a glimpse of his laptop as she was standing behind him trying to grab a book. He was done. The password he assumed was secure and was broken into by the FBI. They had everything. Ross Ulbrich, the Dread Pirate Roberts, was charged with seven felonies. Narcotics trafficking, distribution of narcotics, narcotics trafficking conspiracy, running a continual criminal enterprise, computer hacking, money laundering, trafficking fake IDs and false documents, and all of the charges were hefty. The defense argued that anyone could be Dread Pirate Roberts, or that it could even be many people, noting that Ross said he'd sold the website to Dread Pirate Roberts. But ultimately, Ross was caught with his hands on the keyboard, logged in. His old programmer friend Richard Bates even testified against him, the one person in real life besides his girlfriend that I said knew about this. After a mere three and a half hours, Ross Ulbrich was found guilty on all counts and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And with the captain captured, the ship that was the Silk Road went down. Variety Jones, instead of swooping in on a helicopter to rescue him, was also quickly arrested in Thailand, as were many of the big dealers on the site. IDs of Ross's staff were found on his computer, and many were arrested along with Ross. And I honestly don't know what the staff expected. You gave the guy your ID, he stored it on his computer. This was gonna happen eventually, I'm just saying. Someone else tried to open a Silk Road 2.0, and many others tried to repair the shipwreck and pirate it, but the feds cracked down every single time. In a way, Ross had accomplished his goals. People bought drugs on his website because it was safer. However, deaths from heroin and opioid overdose skyrocketed when the Silk Road was in its prime. And many people argue that drugs don't only hurt the person using them, but they hurt society, they hurt the friends and the family of that individual. The DEA agent playing Nob, the guy who helped track down Dread Pirate Roberts, was also quickly arrested and pled guilty to theft of government property, wire fraud, money laundering, and conflict of interest. Because they'd figured out he'd sold information to Dread Pirate Roberts because, as I said, those conversations were also on his laptop. He will actually be released from prison this year in 2022. Chronic Pain, the opioid dealer who was tortured, was actually let off the hook and is working on a memoir about his life as a Silk Road employee. Many, many more arrests were made of dealers all around the world. And there would never quite be a website like the Silk Road again. Although the Silk Road was an interesting experiment and brought conversations to the table regarding the decriminalization of all drugs, which many people do strongly believe in, including myself. I don't think they should be fully legal, but I do think they should be decriminalized and addicts properly treated instead of sent off to a jail cell. I would like to thank Adrian Chen, Joshua Behrman, and most importantly, Nick Bilton for all the information on the Silk Road I could ask for. For anyone who wants the full, even more dramatic story, Read Nick Bilton's book, American Kingpin, because that is where I got a lot of the information from. Not all of it did verify with many third-party sources, and, and of course I read the original Gawker article that started all of this. My name is Chloe Tonus, and as always, stay secure. <laughs>